You're listening to a sermon from River City Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. For more gospel-centered resources and to learn about our church, visit www.rivercitympls.com. Hey, River City Church, Pastor Jeremy here, and I'm coming to you via video because as you've probably already heard, I'm at home with COVID today. Now, of course, I'd much rather be there with you in person, but I had a sermon ready to deliver, and so I thought I'd record this and send it on to the team so that you can all enjoy it that way. Um, So pray for me, pray for our family as we work through this. So far, the symptoms aren't too bad, thankfully, Um, but of course, would love your prayers for our family as we uh, recover from COVID together. If you have a Bible there, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Luke 10, 38 through 42. If you're using one of the pew Bibles in the back, um, you're on page 869. And so if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Feel free to take that home with you. Otherwise, just use it tonight. And of course, that's fine. We, we, we think it's important that you have God's Word in your hand. And so we'd encourage you to, to get God's Word in your hand as you follow along. And especially because I'm not going to have PowerPoint slides like I typically do. All the more reason to have a copy of the Scriptures in your hand. So we are continuing in our series that we have called Tired of Being Tired, Embracing the Rhythms of Jesus in an Age of Distraction. We started that series in the fall. and One of the things we recognized is that people today are more lonely than they've ever been. Uh, they claim being more anxious than they've ever been, more tired than they've ever been. And we believe that Jesus uh, has some answers for that. Jesus, he was always at work. He was never in a rush. Right? Jesus was the epitome of peace, and we want to learn from him. And so in the fall, we looked at some of his personal rhythms, things like fasting and Sabbath and uh, Bible reading and prayer. And today, we're going to begin to shift and talk a little bit more about Jesus' outward rhythms, his relational and public rhythms. And so today's sermon is on margin. Uh, today's sermon is a bit of a bridge between the two, the, the kind of personal rhythms and then the relational and public ones. Because one of the things that you'll begin to wonder, and we'll talk about this, is, okay, I've got all these personal rhythms I want to do. I want to be mindful of Bible reading and Sabbath and things of that nature. But I also, um, you know, I'm I'm called to do all these things in ministry and in mission. And I want to have people over to my house. And I want to engage with my neighbors. And, and of course, that requires some work. And so how do I balance all of that? And, well, margin is a helpful way of thinking about that. And so we're talking about margin today as we transition from those personal rhythms to the relational and public rhythms. And today we're going to learn about Mary and Martha. There's this great story, just four verses today. Um, And there's this great story about these two sisters and their interaction with Jesus. And uh, we can learn a lot from them about how we respond to some of these responsibilities in life while also being mindful of spending time with Jesus. And so actually, sorry, five verses, not four. Uh, five verses for us today, but we get to learn about Mary and Martha. And so if you have a Bible, uh, hopefully you found Luke 10, 38 through 42. Again, page 869 in the Pew Bibles. I'm going to read it, and I'd encourage you to follow along. It says this, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. 
But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Now, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift it is to us, your people. <clears throat> and here now as I preach, even through a video screen, and we thank you for technology like this, and we trust that, God, that your word will not return void. And so would you, by the power of your spirit, open our eyes that we might behold the wondrous things that are found here in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in uh, 1992, Dr. Richard Swenson published a book called Margin. And this book has sold, at least my copy here says that it has over 100,000 copies in print. It became a, a well, you know, very um, widely selling book, widely read, because of how important this idea of margin is. And Richard Swanson, he says when he published the book, this was a, ten, a book that was 10 years in the making. He started noticing in his practice in the 80s the way that margin uh, or the lack of margin was starting to affect the patients that he was working with. And Swenson defined margin as the gap between the loads that I carry and the limits that I'm capable of carrying. And and. Swenson, in his book, he calls this an epidemic. He talks about how significant the lack of margin is, and he calls it overload. We're overloaded. We've, we've run past our limits, and we've overrun what we're capable of carrying. And he talks about what he calls the pain of progress. And he has all these graphs in the back of the book. I just love all these, like, several pages of graphs showing the exponential growth of all these different areas of life. And so some of them good, some of them bad, some of them kind of just neutral, but he talks about the exponential growth of information and the exponential growth of the complexity of life and the rate of change in life. Gross national project and IRS, or gross national product and IRS collections, national debt, the volume of junk mail. And of course, at this point, 1992, he's talking about, you know, like junk mail that you got in the mail. And of course, junk emails are, uh, just as common, exponential growth of the number of prisoners and, and so on and so forth. And the reality is, is that our need for margin is not new. We've been talking about this throughout the fall, right? This this isn't surprising to me to read about margin. But what is surprising to me is that he wrote this book in the early 90s. I mean, this this 30 years ago that he was writing this book, and he said it took him over 10 years to develop, meaning 40 years ago, he started noticing the way that a lack of margin was having this negative effect on people's life, or people's lives. Uh, and I would say, in fact, in the last 30 years, it hasn't gotten better, but it's gotten worse. It is more difficult for us to navigate. There's the exponential growth curves that were happening in the 90s have just continued. And so the overwhelming amount of information, the, the overload of junk mail and advertisements and the pop-ups on your phone, right? This, we have been um, inundated with these things. Our margin has shrunk. It has not grown. And so as we transition to this series to talk about relational and public rhythms, we're going to be challenged to ask, how, to ask, how do we integrate these public and relational rhythms with all that we talked about in the fall? How do hospitality and silence and solitude go together? How do I engage in civic matters and also practice the Sabbath? What do I, how do I think about my relational witness and my initiative in that and also Bible and prayer reading or, or Bible reading and prayer? 
See, we, we need to know how to navigate these things. I think this idea of margin can help us. Now, it cannot, and I cannot today, give a perfect formula for everyone in every situation. We need wisdom and we need discernment in how we navigate these things. And everyone's situation is different. My situation is different than yours. Your situation is different than the person sitting on your right and your left. Our age, our stage of life, our family responsibilities, the age of our children, how many children, what we do for work, whether we travel or not, or all these different things are going to have an impact on the way margin works itself out. But if we think about that definition of margin that um, Swenson gives us er from earlier, that margin is the gap between the loads that I carry and the limits that I'm capable of carrying, then you can begin to even kind of think about it um, it, just in terms of even just visually. If you think about the whole capacity of what I can carry as, you know, the distance between my two hands here, okay, maybe if you'd imagine like a a graph, like you have a rectangle, that's your capacity that, that you can fill, that's all that you can do, okay, the gap between what I'm currently carrying and my actual capacity, that's what he calls margin. And so if I'm, if I'm my actual, like, what I'm actually carrying is 80% of my capacity, well, then 20% of margin exists there. But the reality is for so many people, we have run way past our capacity. We have overloaded the system and we carry more than our capacity. And when that begins to happen, it's not like our capacity just grows. That's not what happens. We might like to think that's what happens. That's not what happens. What happens when we overrun our capacity is that we often neglect what is necessary. We often neglect the most important things. And this is the cost of overrunning our capacity. This is why if we do not maintain margin in our lives, then we will neglect what is most important. And the message of the sermon today is that participation in kingdom work cannot come at the cost of time with the king, the king being Jesus. If we're going to participate in kingdom work, these outward rhythms that cannot come at the cost of time with the king. Now, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Right? We can have both. We, we can both participate in the kingdom and have time with the king. And in fact, often those two things, not only do they, can they both happen in our lives, but they often happen at the same time. Right? They're not mutually exclusive, but we need wisdom in how we live in the tension of our personal rhythms and our outward public and relational rhythms. And that's what I want to help with today. And so I've got three principles for how we navigate margin as people of the kingdom. Okay, so three principles we get from our text. The first is that we should participate in kingdom work. The second is that we participate within our limits. And then third is that we prioritize what is necessary. So participate in kingdom work, participate within your limits, and prioritize what is necessary. First, as we participate in kingdom work, as we think about that, Um, I sometimes feel bad for Martha in this whole story because, I mean, this is the story that she's remembered for. If you were to bring up the name Martha to anybody who's, you know, relatively familiar with the life of Jesus and the Gospels, this would be the story that would come to mind. Being compared to Mary, given as an example of how not to respond to Jesus in this moment. But the reality is she's not all bad. Like, that's not the picture we get of Martha within the scriptures, but that's the thing that we kind of think of. But in John's gospel, for example, we read that Jesus loved Martha 
and her sister and Lazarus, who is their brother. Jesus had genuine affection for this family, Martha included. And the story begins here with Jesus entering a village in verse 38, and it says that a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Martha's the one that welcomes. It's important to this story that we see Martha as the one who welcomes Jesus. She's doing the work of the kingdom, inviting people into her home, hosting guests, welcoming Jesus. And this is probably a regular habit for her. She's probably the oldest of the siblings. And we see in John chapter 12, for example, that Jesus is having another meal at their house. And it says in verse 2 of John 12 that Martha served the meal. This is probably a regular practice. Now, this sermon itself is not going to be about hospitality in particular. We're actually going to do that in another sermon. We're going to spend a sermon on hospitality on its own. But hospitality here is the context for the lesson that we're going to learn about priorities and about margin and about not sacrificing Jesus for the mission. Martha was the quintessential host. She's the oldest of the siblings. She took the responsibility of welcoming people in her home. She knew how to plan. She knew how to prepare. She knew how to provide for the people that entered her home. And that does take work. That's a gift to know how to organize all that and and to welcome people and make sure there's enough food for everyone. And you probably know someone in your life like this. My grandmother and my aunt, they are like this. Always hosting family get-togethers. They're capable of cooking food for large amounts of people and making sure that there's always some kind of treat at the end of the meal. I loved it because when I go to my grandma's for a family get-together, there's always like five different desserts that get passed around the table that we can all enjoy. And when I was younger, they always had my favorite soda, Dr. Pepper, on hand. They always had my favorite snacks. And my grandpa was a farmer And he kept the meal schedule of like a real life hobbit from the Lord of the Rings. We, you know, we'd have breakfast, then we'd go out and farm. And then we'd come in for second breakfast. And then we go out and farm some more. And then we'd come in for lunch. And then we'd go out and farm. Then we'd come in for like a second lunch, like an afternoon snack. And then we'd go out and farm some some more. And then we'd come in for dinner. And, you know, I'd get like five meals a day when I would go up to my grandparents and spend the week with them and farm with them. And my grandmother always made sure that our favorite foods and drinks were available. This takes a special gift. It requires intentionality. It requires work. It requires thoughtfulness. Martha was that sort of person. And that is worth celebrating. Martha was invested in the work of the kingdom. That's that's the first thing we want to see. We need to participate in the work of the kingdom. But what we're going to learn in our passage is that we need wisdom in how we express this desire, how we express this initiative to be a part of this work. In fact, I think that the order of Luke's gospel here is very intentional. It is no accident that this story about Mary and Martha comes right after the story of the Good Samaritan. So Mary and Martha are happening in verses 38 through 42. And then just before that, in verses 25 through 37, we get the story about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And here, really, this is a, the, the story of the Good Samaritan is a kingdom call to love our neighbor, to do the work of the kingdom, even through sacrifice. At times, it will require us to cross cultural boundaries at great expense to ourselves, even sometimes needing to love those who might be difficult. And the parable of the Good Samaritan, it comes in response, if you remember, to this lawyer who's trying to test Jesus. 
And Jesus tells this story then, this parable, about a man who was left for dead on the side of the road, robbed and left for dead. Two men who would have been expected to stop, both being religious leaders, they don't stop to help him. But the Samaritan, who was thought of as a second-class human by many of the Jews, he's the one who does stop and helps. Jesus confronts the lawyer in return, actually. So the lawyer's coming to test Jesus, and Jesus is going to confront him back, asking him at the end which one proved to be the neighbor to the man who was left on the side of the road by the robbers. Now, this is a memorable story, right? We know this story well. It's a motivating story. It's so memorable that there's actually laws all over the world known as Good Samaritan Laws to protect people from liability when they stop to help someone in danger. It's such a powerful story. It would be motivating for someone who read it to be invested in God's mission, to love their neighbor, to live a sacrificial life. But it is imperative that is done with the right motives and the right priorities. And so the passage about Mary and Martha comes as a corrective for people who might want to overcompensate after reading about the parable of the Good Samaritan. But it's worth noting, in order to need that corrective, we need to get invested in kingdom work. There are some people who do not suffer from the Martha problem. And they might, in their minds, read this parable or the story of Mary and Martha and think, well, yeah, I don't, I'm not like Martha because I'm like Mary. But the reality is they're not like Mary either because they're actually more like the lawyer who wants to justify their own idleness when it comes to the mission of God. When we think about what it means to have healthy margin in life, we will not feel the problem if we are not involved in the mission. And if you feel the problem of a need of margin and you're still not involved in the mission, then it's probably because your time is being spent on frivolous things, on things that don't matter and have no consequence. And so all the more do we need to hear this reproof and this correction that we see in the life of Martha and Mary. So the first thing is we need to participate in the mission. And then we'll learn how to participate within our own margin. We spent six weeks last fall in our preaching series on the rhythms of Jesus. And there we focused on those personal rhythms we talked about. Uh, we talked about silence and solitude, Bible reading, prayer, fasting, Sabbath, rehearsing our identity. And here as we come out of Christmas and start a new year, we're shifting our focus because we can also then learn from Jesus' relational and public rhythms. That's what we're spending our time on as we go forward. And these rhythms are intentionally outward in their orientation. Jesus was focused on others. And we introduced our prayer theme last week from 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Christ's love compels us. And here's what we learned. Because Jesus died for us, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him. And we are so motivated and captivated by his love for us, his sacrificial death, that we want to help others experience it as well. As we're praying for this year, through the death of Jesus, we have been reconciled to God. And so we are now ministers of that reconciliation. And I said last week that we need to become a church that is about the people who are not yet in the room with us. Now, we should be so deeply connected and committed to one another of course, that we care about each other, but we should also be just as committed to being ministers of reconciliation to those who are not yet among us. Because we believe that the message of the gospel is a reconciling message. We believe that. 
We believe that it takes people who were far from God and brings them near. That it takes people who are far from one another and it breaks down barriers and unites those who used to be separated. The, the message of the gospel is a reconciling message bringing humans from rebellion into relationship with God. We believe that. We believe that it will bring peace and purpose and joy and abundance to the life and the heart of people. That's what we believe. It is a message about hope and healing. It is the good portion that Mary has chosen to enjoy that will not be taken away from her. And here's what I'm saying. I think that in many ways, Martha was the sort of person who wanted to labor for the kingdom, hosting people, welcoming Jesus, committed to participating in kingdom work. And that should confront us because there are people among us who are more likely to make excuses for not doing anything than they are to get so wrapped up in the work that they neglect the most important things. There are some in the room who neglect their kingdom responsibilities because they want to maintain their own autonomy. And they know that if they get too invested, then they're going to become accountable to others. And then they're going to have to give up some of their freedom. But the first principle here is that when we think about margin, we need to participate in the kingdom work. We need to be about that work. We need to do something that will require us to wonder about the margin in our lives. And then the second principle that we see here is that we need to participate within our limits. So first we need to participate in the kingdom work, and then we need to learn how to participate within our limits. Now, I said earlier that the cost of overstepping our own capacity is that we will neglect the most important things. And that's what we see happening with Martha in this passage. So Luke introduces the contrast between Mary and Martha in verses 39 and 40. And what we see there is that Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But it says in verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving. Now the servant, the serving itself is not portrayed as the problem in the story. It's not that she's serving that it's a problem. It is the distraction that comes from much serving. See, I think Martha wanted to honor Jesus. He was a guest of honor. She wanted to do it right. And that is admirable. That's a good thing. But she became consumed with many extra things. And I'll ask you, does that ever happen to you? You intend to do something good for someone. Maybe, for example, you've been asked to host a baby shower for a friend. And you make all your plans and all your preparations. You've got your Pinterest board right there filled with all your ideas. And then you narrow it down. You buy all the things that you need to buy. You make all the food. You you get everything ready. But along the way, the stress and the pressure, they start to increase. And as pressure increases, then patience decreases. And you push the margins of your capacity. You push the margins of your time and your ability and your budget and you realize that you spent way more on the shower than you planned and that you don't have enough time to do everything you want to do. You start to snap at your husband and and get angry. You're distracted with much serving. And along the way, there are times then in all of that that you've forgotten the point of hosting the shower in the first place. Having good margin, though, doesn't mean that you don't host the shower. It doesn't mean that, like, for Martha, that she doesn't welcome Jesus and and serve. Jesus doesn't confront Martha for the serving. 
He does not condemn her for showing hospitality, but he's going to redirect her focus to help her see that the way that her hospitality can be a help to her discipleship and not an impediment to it. So Martha, we see, is distracted with much serving. Meanwhile, Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And in that contrast, then, we see Martha gets frustrated. So she's distracted with much serving is the initial assessment. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. And then Martha gets frustrated. So he comes to Jesus, right, to like tell him, hey, can, can you get Mary to help me? And some of you, when you read this story, if you're honest, you sympathize with Martha. You think to yourself, yeah, Mary should get to work. There are things to be done. Maybe you even feel that way here at River City Church sometimes. You're serving and you're sacrificing and you're doing the work and then you're looking around at others and you're thinking to yourself, why aren't they doing more? It's like you want to say to them what Martha says to Jesus in verse 40. Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. So you still sometimes in that, even you read this and you're still thinking to yourself, what's the big deal with Martha's question? Mary should get to work. But Jesus responds in verse 41. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. The repetition of her name here, Martha's name, at the beginning of this response from Jesus, it shows his affection and his care for her. His primary goal isn't to condemn her. That's not what he's doing. He's not condemning or chastising. But he wants to remind her of what is most important and necessary. His assessment is that Martha has become anxious and troubled with many things. See, she had her long list of things she needed to get done in order to have the best party she could for Jesus. But her participation in the kingdom work there, it it came at the cost of time with the king. And here's, I need to confess that I have been guilty of this. Sometimes when we gather as a church, Sometimes I'm anxious and I'm distracted with all the things I need to do in order to help lead us in worship. And I can be so distracted then that I miss Jesus in the midst of it all. And it has been my prayer for the last several years that I want to participate in worship with you. I do not want to perform. I do not want to pretend. See, I'm here to worship Jesus. And if in my serving, I become so anxious, so distracted, that I forget to worship Jesus, then I've missed the whole point. Here's where margin comes into play. If the cost of overstepping our own capacity is that we neglect the most important things, then when we push our capacity over and over again, then we will, ne- then we will neglect the one most important thing, and his name is Jesus. See, Mary and Martha, they're at the same party. One of them is is distracted and anxious. The other is sitting at Jesus' feet. Now, you can be at the same church gathering as someone else, but you can be distracted and you can be anxious while the person next to you is sitting at the proverbial feet of Jesus. See, I I have this problem with margin at times. Early on in my marriage... Um, I was involved in something almost like every night of the week. I was just involved, or at least certainly, way more nights than not. And now many of these were good things. I was leading this 15-week class on missions. I was leading this Bible study. I was helping to lead staff meetings for this residence hall that I was running. And You know, I, it, not bad things, right? But a few months into our marriage, Meg and my wife looks at me and she says, uh, wh- when are we going to spend some time at home together? See, if you get married, your spouse is going to want to spend time with you. You should expect that. 
I had overstepped my capacity and the cost was the more important things. Time with my wife. And I, I'm just notoriously bad at overstepping my capacity. My margin can get squeezed and Megan has been such a gift to me in getting that more in balance in my life. See, when I overstep my margin, then I neglect my physical health. I neglect the most important relationships in my life. Worst of all, I neglect Jesus. Don't miss Jesus in the midst of all your activity. And if you have no margin for Jesus, then your margin is out of sync with kingdom priorities. <clears throat> now, the third principle that we have here for us tonight is um, in how we navigate margin as people of the kingdom is how to prioritize what is necessary. This is the third principle, and really in some ways, it is the one that helps us to balance the first two. We need to participate in kingdom work. We also need to participate within our limits. And if we go beyond our limits, then what is necessary gets sacrificed. But if we prioritize what is necessary first, then often the rest will have a way of working itself out. In response to Martha asking Jesus to make Mary help, in verse 42, Jesus says that Mary has chosen the one thing that is necessary. And he says it will not be taken away from her. The one thing that is necessary is we see Mary doing in verse 39. There's two things there. He's, she is sitting at the Lord's feet and she is listening to his teaching. This is the model of discipleship to Jesus, sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching. And that phrase, sitting at Jesus' feet, it, it was a common phrase for discipleship among early Jews or among Jews around the time of Jesus. Uh, someone who is a disciple of someone else is going to submit to them, humble themselves under their authority, trust that they have the, some wisdom to offer them, to sit at their feet. And so it was common in Jesus' times for rabbis to have disciples or what some might call apprentices. And sitting at the feet of the rabbi was a common phrase. It didn't mean, always mean they're literally sitting at their feet, but it's a phrase that meant they're submitting to the rabbi as a teacher and a master. So Mary, here she is. She's not the only one there sitting at Jesus' feet. Surely there are others who are sharing the meal, following Jesus as their teacher, as their Lord. And here's something worth noting about the story, though, for Mary. Mary was not someone who could sit at the feet of other rabbis because she was a woman and a notorious sinner, but Jesus welcomed her as a disciple. Mary and so many others, Samaritans, Gentiles, and women who were unwelcome at the feet of other religious leaders were welcome to sit at the feet of Jesus. We would do well to remember this fact because here's what can start to happen. We can start to think that we somehow make ourselves worthy to sit at the feet of Jesus or that because others have determined that we're not worthy, therefore we're probably not welcome at the feet of Jesus. And we begin to think that our welcome or not is based on our status, our abilities, our accomplishments. But that's not the picture we get in the Bible, certainly not in this story. Some of you busy yourselves so that you don't have to think about your fear of being unworthy. You distract yourself with your phone because you don't want to have to plumb the depths of your own soul. You think that you don't belong here in church maybe or with Jesus because you know the depths of your own sin and it scares you. And you think that if I knew your sin, then I'd show you the exit. Surely Jesus doesn't want me sitting at his feet, you think to yourself. Maybe you struggle to prioritize Jesus, this most necessary thing, to trust him as Lord because you don't know 
if he's going to reject you. And you'd rather keep him at a distance than be rejected by him. But hear me, you are welcome at the feet of Jesus. And that is the most important place you can be. There's nothing more necessary than time with Jesus. I think here's what Martha's fear is. What if Jesus came and she didn't complete everything on her list to host him like she thought that she should? Because she took the time to sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him instead. What if, what if she took the time to sit at his feet instead of serve? And as a result, she, I think she feared that what if she didn't live up to that standard? See, in her mind, she thought that her efforts were the most important thing. That the things she did were priority number one. And that is the mentality that gets us to push beyond our capacity. So let me ask you, what if you don't get that third load of laundry done because you spent some extra time in prayer? What if you didn't get that centerpiece on your table before your guests came because you took extra time to shepherd the heart of your spouse through something difficult? What if you embraced the teaching of Jesus here that sitting at his feet was the only thing that was necessary And all the things you get to do for him, that kingdom work, they're just the sweet extras we get to enjoy as people of the kingdom. See, while Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, she's listening to his teaching. This is the posture of a disciple who believes that God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. If we're going to follow Jesus, then we need to know what he taught. These are the features of a disciple, sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching. And Jesus says that this is the one necessary thing. And this good portion that Mary has chosen will not be taken away from her. If we're going to live with margin as people of the kingdom, then we need to be clear about the one thing that is necessary. And this is really important for us to decide. What is the one thing that is necessary in your life? If we are not clear on that, and if it is not Jesus then we will live a life of chaos and calamity. But if we know that the one thing that matters is him, then whether we're in the quiet or in the crowd, we can be at peace and content with Jesus. So as we transition to talk about the outward rhythms of Jesus, margin is something that we must keep in mind because you're going to find yourself asking how to balance it all. For example, I even, I realize the irony of me preaching a sermon on margin while I am suffering through COVID. I get that. But I was able to do this with joy, to serve you well. I'm not bitter and asking myself why someone else couldn't do this or frustrated with my need to serve you in this way. Because I'm, I'm seeking to maintain margin in my life, prioritizing sitting at the feet of Jesus so that I can serve and I can sacrifice when it's needed and worship along with you as I do. See, in the end, margin is not a perfect science. It is about keeping first things first and knowing that if we consistently push ourselves beyond our capacity, then we will sacrifice the most important things. See, participation in in kingdom work, it cannot come at the cost of time with the king. So sit at the feet of Jesus. He welcomes you there. Learn from his teaching and the good portion will not be taken from you. Thank you for listening to this sermon from River City Church. If you found this resource helpful, we encourage you to share it with your friends and family. We exist to see weary lives renewed through relationship with Jesus in the Twin Cities and beyond.